that, that's incredible. 95% of these children have never done this before. Let's give them a big, big hand. That was, that was incredible. Somebody got excited in the audience and yelled out. If I find out who that was, I'll let you know. If uh, you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me. Today we continue in the series on being thankful. Everybody say thankful. And I want to talk to you today about thankful for the unseen hand. Would you say that with me? Thankful for the unseen hand. How many of you are thankful for God's protection? Let me ask a question. How many of you have ever been in a situation where all of a sudden, I mean, you were in dire straits and out of nowhere an answer came? Help showed up. It just, you know, God has a way, even though we can't see him, we know he's there and we see the results of him being there. I shared with uh, you on several occasions about the time I was driving back from a service. It was about two o'clock in the morning. I'd fallen asleep and I had crossed into the other lane and was headed for a telephone pole when all of a sudden in the cab of my pickup truck, I heard a voice call my name and it called it loud. It, li- it was like it echoed in that truck. I immediately woke up, saw the pole, got back in my lane and then looked next to me to find out who had crawled in the truck. I'm glad he got in there. <laughs> I'm glad he showed up. You've got your stories, your times when God showed up just when you needed him most, when a hand of protection made itself known to you in a tangible way. And so we live today by faith, not by sight. We live by faith. But how many of you are glad to know that your faith is placed in a great protector? Amen. In Psalms 95 and verse 1, this is verse 1 and 2, it says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For he is our God and we are the people of his pastor and the sheep of his hand. Everybody say the sheep of his hand. In another passage, it says it this way, that it is he that has made us and not we ourselves. Aren't you glad to know that his hand is on you? His hand is protecting you, that it watches over you, that you never, David makes a statement. And by the way, these Psalms, a large majority of these are written by David. So David makes a statement. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. You know, uh, I came up Friday night and, uh, uh, you know, Saturday, you know, spent the night here Friday night, Saturday. Debbie got here. She said, did you miss me? I said, yeah, I missed you. She said, did you sleep well? I said, no, I didn't sleep well. I didn't have you there to hold. 
it doesn't take much to get to y'all, does it? <laughs> no, I'm no, I'm I said, I didn't have you there to hold. And, and, there, there's, and I'm just being truthful. There's something comforting about being able to hold on to someone that you know loves them. When I was a little boy, my dad had a 56 Chevy and I used to, you know, that was before you had to have, be in seat restraints. So I used to, my spot was right next to him in the front seat. And God help us if we'd had a wreck because it had been over. I, I used to lay my head on his lap while he was driving. And I remember this, especially at night, I would lay my head over on his lap. And there was a little emblem on that car. I don't know if it was a Ford or a Chevy or what it was. That shows how much I remembered about the car. I remembered the moment. And there was a little emblem that lit up. And I, I, and I used to stare at that emblem because it was a light in a dark place. There is something that speaks volumes to our hearts when we know that we can hold on to our Father and find light in a dark place. And he's promised us. Now, I don't know what your relationship was like with your earthly father, but I'm talking to you about a, a father that would never leave you or forsake you. I'm talking about someone that loves you so much he'd rather die for you than live without you. And so he comes. He comes to comfort us. He comes to keep us. He comes to preserve us. Everybody say that unseen hand. Psalms 91 and verse 9, it says, if you make the Lord your refuge. So a lot of things that we make our refuge, isn't there? How many of you got a man cave? How many of you'd like to have a man cave? Look at, look at that. Look at that. Everybody's looking for a place to escape. It's just, just a, you'd like to have a place where you could go. It says, but if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the most high your shelter, this is what it's saying. If you choose to let God be the place that you run to, if you make him the place that you dwell, that you live in and you breathe in, if you do that, then it says no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. We're not talking about, you know, so how many of you have ever heard of uh, part-time work? Right? How many of you have ever had a part-time job? Right? Unfortunately, sometimes that part-time stuff bleeds over into our walk with God and we become part-time Christians. And it does, just doesn't work out. Because you can't live for God part-time. The scripture said that the way of a transgressor is hard. What's it saying? It's saying, my, my father-in-law always used to, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, but he, he used to always say this, it's easy to serve God hard, but it's hard to serve him easy. In other words, if you're just trying to 
you know, dabble in it, if you're trying to be a part-timer, you're going to find your life miserable. But when you make that commitment and you say, it's for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, then there is no looking back. There is no thought about going back. Go back to what? I got, you, you know, when the disciples left him, he, he had made that statement. He said, except you eat my bread and uh, or, or, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood that you've got no part in. And 70 of them walked away. He turned around and he looked at the 12 and he said, are you going to leave me too? And Peter made a statement. He said, where to, Lord? What's he saying? He said, I've already been there and done that. And there's nothing left there for me. I'm going to hold on to you. We just got to hang on. To that unseen hand. David speaks to us and he, he learned to trust in the hand of the Lord. In, in the fifth Psalm, verse 11, he says, but let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. He defends them. You know what? how I used to get in trouble in school? Wasn't hard. No, literally, the way I got, I, I was a good student. I, I was, I'm not just saying that. I was a good student most of the time. But, but where I would get in trouble would be when I saw somebody picking on someone else because there was something in me that wanted to defend them. When I saw guys going after somebody that was smaller than they were, it did something to me. And I thought, man, that, what, kind of a, what kind of a coward is that? It, 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 and even today when I see the news and I see things where people form mobs and they go after people, I think that's probably the most cowardly thing I've ever seen in my life. Have enough courage to come and stand face to face with someone. Don't try and, here's what I'm saying. You've got to understand that God is your defender. Amen. That when the enemy comes in like a, God raises up a standard against them. Do you remember I told you about the comma, right? You all remember that in the original translation, there was no punctuation. So the translators put the comma where they think it went. I personally think that comma belongs someplace else. So what are you talking about? It said, because when the enemy comes in, like a flood comma is how the translators have it. I'll raise up a standard against them. But when I read that, I always read it this way. When the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood, I'll raise up a standard against them. That he knows how to defend us. He knows how to protect us. He's there for us. How many of you trusted your daddy? Wave your hand if you trusted your daddy. How many of you, how many of you ever made this statement? You keep messing with me. And I'm going to tell my daddy on you Any of, or anything like that. You know, I'm going to tell my daddy on you. We used, to, we used to get into that man in school. I'm going to tell my daddy on you. Oh, yeah? I'm going to tell my daddy on your daddy. I said, look, man, I got the biggest daddy of them all. 
His name is Jesus. Amen. He's able to defend us. He's able to protect us. Let's take a look at David for a second. David had learned how to trust in the hand of God because David had seen God defend him over and over. And when you learn how to trust in God, it gives you a boldness that you normally don't have. When David faced a giant, he didn't come out to face the giant on his own. He didn't trust in his own ability. But he looked at Goliath and he said, you come to me with a sword and a shield and a spear. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. This day he'll deliver you into my hand. That's powerful stuff. What's David doing? David's focusing on God instead of his giant. Do you know that when you focus on God instead of your giant, you'll find courage too? When you learn to focus on God instead of your circumstance or your situation, you'll realize that God's bigger than your situation is. He's bigger than your circumstance is. How many, do you know how they catch monkeys? Everybody's looking at me. What's that got to do with what you know? They, they, they take in, they, what they used to do is they would, they would find like a, a box and they would put a banana or an apple or something in the box and the monkey would come through and they, he would take his hand and he would put it inside the box and he would grab the banana, but then he couldn't get his hand out of the box with that banana or apple or whatever it was in his hand because the hole was too small and they would run in on him with nets and all he had to do was let go and he could have escaped. Sometimes that's how we act like monkeys. We grab hold of our problem and we refuse to let go of it. And all the time, God is saying, just trust me, give it to me, but we won't give it to him. And so we become a victim of our own making. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, don't you think it's time you let go? We have to learn how to let it go. Just, just turn it loose. Just let God have it. And David had to do that with Saul. You know, Saul's the king of Israel, and David's been anointed to be king. And so Saul wants to kill David, and David's fleeing for his life. And David has situations come up that if you're just looking at it through the natural, you would think, oh, this is God. How many of you ever had something come up in your life where you thought it was God and turned out it wasn't God at all? How many of you ever bought a car and you thought, oh, this is from God and it turned out to be from the devil? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And so he, he finds himself in a situation where he's in a cave hiding and Saul goes in the cave to relieve himself, and while he's in there relieving himself, his men are saying, God's just delivered this guy into your hand. Rise up and kill him. And David started to do it, but he, he couldn't. And he said, no. He said, he'll either die in battle one day or, 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 or God's going to take care of this. I I'm not going to do it. And I think about, because the scripture said that he's a man that's after God's own heart. 
And it's so easy to want to exact revenge for ourselves, isn't it? I mean, if we're going to be honest about it, isn't there, hasn't there been a few times that you just wanted to, you know, where you were saying, God, look, I, you know, I know you're busy. I could handle this one for you. Just, but it doesn't work like that. And you have to let God have it. And what happens is in those moments, that's when God sees a heart that trusts him, a heart that's yielded to him. It's not, look, it's not hard for me to fast hominy. I mean, I could do that. I've done that most of my life, folks. It's just a continual fast I'm on. It's, it's not a sacrifice because it doesn't appeal to me. And so there are some things that we don't struggle with, but there are other things that we do. And what we have to learn is how to let go of those things that we struggle with into the hand of God and let him have it because if we don't, we're going to struggle our entire life. So Paul makes a statement, I die daily. How many of you know that it's pretty rough to die? Paul says, I have to do it every day. What's that tell me? This guy wrote nearly two-thirds of the New Testament. And what it tells me is he had some problems with his flesh. I mean, if he's having to die every day, so doesn't it just stand to reason that we might have some problems with ours? I mean, I recognize that when you're having problems with yours. I could point it out to you in a heartbeat. Sometimes it's hard for us to see when we're struggling ourselves, And so what has to happen is as we look inward, God reveals our heart. And if we're honest with him and release it to him, he'll become a defender of our heart. You know, you can only carry so much stuff. And if, if you fill your heart full of aggravation and disappointment and heartbreak and, you know, bitterness, and then there's not a lot of room for God in there. But when you open yourself up and you say, God, come fill me up and make this, you know, it's deer season, right? Hooray! Well, actually, it started, it started yesterday in Missouri. It doesn't start here. Gun season doesn't start until, I think, next Saturday, right? Up here. But it, it's, so what are you getting at? I'm, I'm trying to teach you something about deer hunting. Are you ready? How many of you have ever skinned a deer out before and ended up getting a bunch of hair on the deer? You know what I mean? Well, how do you do, what do you do? How do you, do you go through and you just pick those hair off just individually? No, I found a great way to get rid of deer on a hair. I was just checking to see if you're paying attention. A great way to get rid of hair on a deer. And, and you take that chunk of deer and you put it in an ice chest. And then you take a garden hose and you put the garden hose in the ice chest and turn it on and leave it on for several minutes. And what happens is the water begins to fill it up and then it, it, it just flows it over and it keeps running over and all the hair starts getting 
pulled off of the, the meat and the hair runs out and it can't be kept anymore. What's that got to do with anything? Don't you understand that when there are things that are trying to cling on to us, all we need to do is to go to that fountain that never runs dry and let he, Jesus said, I'll be like a, a river springing up in you. And so when you let that happen and he just keeps flowing through you, all the gunk comes off. How many of you want to get rid of some gunk today? We can get all the gunk off if we just let him flow through us. David wouldn't touch Saul, and David learned that God's strategy isn't always our strategy. I mean, that we've got ways of doing things, right? How many of you have, I guarantee you, if I took three of you women and put you all in the kitchen together and said, I want you to make a Thanksgiving dinner, I'd probably have to go in there and referee before the dinner was complete because you've all got your own way of doing things. Why are you, why are you doing that to that turkey? That's the way we do it at my house. What are you, what are you doing? We, we, don't, we don't make dressing like that. Well, we do. We've all got our own way of doing things. And the problem is, is that we want to transfer that into our walk with God. And God isn't interested in how you want to do things. He wants you to yield to the way he does things. And so David had fought the Philistines and he prayed and he asked God. Now David's a warrior. But before David would go to battle, he would ask God for direction. That's probably a pretty good example to follow, don't you think? That before you do something, ask God about it. And so David asked God, and he said, should I go up against the Philistines? And he said, go up. And they went up, and they won a great victory. But then the Philistines came back, and and can't you see David's men going, come on, let's go. We did it once. We can do it again. David said, ho, 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 ho. Hang on a second. And David took time to ask God again. Just because God did something one way the first time for you doesn't mean he's going to do it the same way the next time. So he asks God again, and God said, don't, go, don't, don't approach him head on. I want you to go behind him, and I want you to wait for me. Well, how am I going to know when you get there? There's going to be a sound in the top of these mulberry trees that are going to sound like an army marching, like chariot wheels grinding. And when you hear that, go out to battle because I'm with you. David's camped out there, and don't you know those men are trying to figure out, what are we doing sitting around here? What's going on, Dave? What's going on? Shh, listen. But why are we doing? Shh, be still and know that I'm God. And when David heard those chariot wheels, I can see a smile come over his face and say, come on, guys, the real army just showed up. Aren't you glad to know that there's a hand that fights for us? There's a hand that protects us. Gideon was, if you have your Bibles, Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 2. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. 
I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. Aren't you glad to know that he covered it all for us? He said, no matter what you're facing, I'm there. I'm not going to let it overtake you. Gideon finds himself in a situation where Israel is being, man, the, the Midianites are stealing their crops. They plant every year. The Midianites come in and destroy their crops every year and steal their harvest. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord showed up and looks at Gideon and said, you know, you're, you're a mighty man of valor. You, you know, I'm going to work through you. And he's thinking, man, wait a minute. If I, I'm a man of valor? Where are all the miracles I've heard about? Where are all the things? Have you ever been there before? When all of a sudden you're praying and you're seeking God and you're saying, God, I, I know that you don't change, but how come you're not working like you used to? How come you're not doing this like you used to? I had people come to me when I was traveling and doing mission work. They said, how come we don't see in America the things like you see in other countries? And my reply to them is this, it's hard to believe that God will bring water out of a rock when you can walk in the kitchen and turn on the faucet. You don't need a miracle when you can turn on the faucet. But when your back's against the wall, when all the options are up, when you don't have a faucet to turn on and you don't have a kitchen to go into, that's when you begin to look up to God and say, I need you now. And so Gideon is instructed by God to move, and he acts on it. He's not sure about himself, and he's a little nervous, but he acts on it. You don't have to feel like a hero to be a hero. As a matter of fact, history shows that most people that became heroes didn't feel like one at all. They were just so afraid they did what needed to be done. And so Gideon moves and he ends up gathering 32,000 men. That's impressive, but that was still no match for the Midianites because the Midianites are described as being innumerable. So there, there's, there's way over 100,000 of them. And all Gideon has is 32,000. But here's what God says. God says, I want you to tell everybody that's afraid to go home. <laughs> He lost 22,000 men. If you're afraid, go home. He's, got, he's down to 10,000, and, and he's still, 10,000 still too many for God to give him a victory with. I mean, you know, I'd be thinking, man, wait a minute here. I'm outnumbered 10 to 1. How is that too many? But he says, take them down. And you know what happens? They, they drink and those that bring their hand up to their mouth, he keeps. He ends up with 300 men to fight all these others. Here's what you've got to understand. What God asks us to do doesn't always make sense to us. When God asks you to do something, don't start trying to figure it out. Don't start trying to weigh it logically because it'll never weigh out. You just have to trust him. 
And so with 300 men, he goes against this multitude. And listen to the scripture, because I mean, it'd, it'd be hard to sleep, don't you think? I mean, you know, you, you, you're getting ready to go against all these guys and all you guys, 300 men. It would be hard to sleep. But Proverbs tells us that when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. And this is what God did. God said to Gideon, he said, Gideon, if you're afraid, go down to the camp. Go down to the enemy's camp and I'm going to, show, I'm going to encourage you there. So he slips down there. He takes a guy with him and he slips down there. And this is what he overhears. These two guys are talking. The other guy looks at his buddy and he said, man, I had a dream last night. He said, really? He said, what'd you dream? He said, I dreamt a loaf of barley came into this place and hit a tent and the tent collapsed under it. And the guy jumps up and he interprets the dream. And I'm thinking, man, this interpretation had to be from God. Because <laughs> he jumps up and he said, that loaf of barley's Gideon and his sword. God's delivered them into or delivered us into their hand. And Gideon comes away from there confident and sure. Don't you know that God's trying to communicate that to you, to us? You don't need to be afraid. I'm going to take care of it. I don't just have your back. I got your front and your sides as well. I've got you covered. I'm, I'm there for you. I'm, I'm going to walk you through this. It's going to be all right. Now, see, we read stuff like that, and we think, well, that was, you know, wait, that was in the Bible. You know, that doesn't happen today. I beg your pardon. This nation was started by the help of divine intervention. George Washington had been outmaneuvered by the British on August 27th, 1776. The Declaration of Independence had been signed just a few weeks before, and Washington finds his army on the ropes in New York City. The British have maneuvered. They've got him pinned down. He's got no way out. There's the East River, but there's no bridge. They're moving in, and Washington, and, and I mean, if, if, there, if something doesn't happen... Washington, his men, the revolution are over. That night, he decides to make a bold move, and he starts to try and ferry his men across the river. It started raining. The wagons that they were using got bogged down in mud, and he keeps ferrying them across. But it became evident that morning was going to break before he could get everybody across. And with morning, they would be found out, and it would be over. But something happened that next morning that people haven't been able to explain. Everywhere in New York, it was clear, except where Washington was. And a big fog had settled in, and that fog stayed there until the last boat was loaded and out of cannon range. And when they were out of cannon range, the fog lifted and the British looked up and could not believe that they had escaped right under their nose. There is a divine hand of protection. There is a unseen hand that works on our behalf when you let it. The War of 1812. It was in 1814 August 24th, 1814, British troops had invaded Washington, D.C. They burnt the White House. They, they, set, they, they started going through systematically setting the city on fire, and it looked like this, this fledgling nation was going to be lost. When all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a storm came up. A tornado spun out 
and came right down in the middle of Washington, D.C., where the British were. They started running from that storm. Cannons were flying through the air. There were, there, 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 there were houses that were on fire that were being blown apart. And then two hours of rain ensued and put all the fire out. But the British took off and left Dodge because there was a bigger gunfighter in town. They couldn't match. Do you understand what God's been trying to get across to us as a nation for all these years? Is you're not here by chance. You're not here by accident. You've been ordained to be here. Don't, don't lose your voice in this hour. Find it. Blood and guts Patton. Well, that man surely didn't, you know, I mean, he couldn't have believed in God. Really? How many of you remember the history of the Battle of the Bulge? Some of your parents or relatives may have been in it. There was one place in particular called Bastogne, 101st Air Division was in there. And they were outnumbered approximately five to one. They were trying to keep the Germans from taking control of that town because if they, could, if they gained control of it, they were going to effectively cut off the allies from each other and it would have turned the tide of the war in favor of Germany. They were pinned down. There was no way out for them. The German commander had sent a message to the American commander saying, you, you need to surrender, otherwise you're... You, you know, your, your, your troops will be annihilated. And he, he gave this big whole, you know, sentence about how that, you know, resistance is futile and all this stuff. And the American commander sat down and penned a wonderful piece of literature and responded back to him. And it said, nuts. Amen. That's all, that's all it said. They translated for the German commander because he didn't know what he was talking about and they were trying to explain. He just kind of spit in your eyes what he did. So they, they just started bombarding and rain kept falling and Patton couldn't get his men there to help because the rains were making the roads unmovable. They couldn't get through with tanks. And, and so this blood and guts Patton on December the 14th, met with his chaplain, whose name was O'Neill. And he said, I want you to come up with a prayer for good weather. And he said, and bring it to me for approval. And he said, listen to this. I wish you would put out a training letter on the subject of prayer. This is, this is Patton talking to his chaplain. I wish you would put out a letter on the subject of prayer to all the chaplains write about nothing else, just the importance of prayer. Let me see it before you send it. We've got to get not only the chaplains, but every man in the third army to pray. We must ask God to stop these rains. These rains are the margin that hold defeat or victory. If we all pray, it'll be like Dr. Carroll said in Dr. Alex Carroll was a scientist that had commented on prayer, and this is what he'd said about prayer. He said, 
prayer it was one of the most powerful forms of energy man can generate. Patton said, it'll be like plugging in on a current whose source is heaven. I believe that prayer completes that circuit. It is power. The chaplain brought the prayer to him for approval. And this is what the prayer said. Almighty and most merciful Father, we humbly beseech thee of thy great goodness to restrain these immoderate rains with which we have had to contend. Grant us fair weather for battle. Graciously hearken to us as soldiers who call upon thee, that armed with thy power, we may advance from victory to victory and crush the oppression and wickedness of our enemies and establish thy justice among men and nations. That prayer was printed and distributed on December 22nd, 1944 to over 250,000 soldiers. The next day, it quit raining. <laughs> and the rain stopped for six days and they were able to go in and bring relief to the 101st Airborne and history cites Patton for saving that campaign and, and, and keeping the Germans for being effectively able to break the allies apart. Do you know what Patton did? Patton brought that chaplain in and gave him a bronze star. <laughs> you understand that that general, the blood and guts Patton that was so crude and so coarse, still understood how important the hand of God was in battle. He was not so proud that he wasn't willing to ask his help. If, if we can humble ourselves, if we can say, God, here I am, whatever it is you're facing, whatever's been holding you back, get rid of it and take a step toward that unseen hand and say, God, here I am, rescue me. He will answer your prayer. We're in a season of thanksgiving. I'm not just thankful for what God has done for me. I'm thankful for what God has kept from me. Amen. Jesus told Peter, Satan has desired to have you so he could sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. Mama's prayers, daddy's prayers, your brothers and sisters. Do you understand that, man? I grew up in a place called Valley View. They, they, it was known as Little Chicago. It was a village of 1,700 people between St. Charles, Illinois, and Elgin, Illinois, and nobody would go down there at night. I watched them use mace on a guy outside my house. I watched a guy jump out with a baseball bat and square off with police officers. Guy was prostituting his wife out for his heroin habit. All that I was growing up in that. It was like a cesspool around me. And it was in that cesspool that I found him. And something about him kept me from all that. Amen. Statistics weren't in my favor. <laughs> According to statistics, I should have become a drug addict, but I didn't. Matter of fact, I'm like seven up, never had it, never will. God kept me in the midst of that mess. Amen. 
God can keep you in the midst of your mess. Just because it's all around you doesn't mean it can touch you. Just because you're surrounded doesn't mean you're going down. As a matter of fact, if God be for us, who my friend can be against us? He's getting ready to lift you up and take you over. Come on and give my hand clap of praise in this house today. Thankful for God's hand of protection. We've all had it show up, haven't we? Sometimes, man, attacks come and where you least expect it. I was on a mission trip headed to build a church in Mexico. We crossed over the border and we were already into Mexico and things were going well. I was, strange thing was a guy that went with me asked me, he said, would you drive my truck in Mexico while we're in Mexico? Would you, would you drive my truck? And he had a big dually diesel, man had torque in that back end of that truck. got across the border and started driving and we're just out of the first town and started to rain just a light rain man folks were praising God for that rain it hadn't rained in three months there but that rain was doing something to the road three months without rain it caused all the oil to come to the surface of that pavement and so when the rain hit it it had formed like a slick coat of ice. It wasn't ice, it was oil, but it was like driving on ice. I was doing 35 miles an hour and came around a guy and started back in. And when I did the torque on that diesel, those back wheels, man, it just spun out. And before I knew it, I was sideways in the road. And I was trying to cut the wheel and get it straight and and I kept headed toward the ditch and I thought, well, it'll be okay. I'll be able to get control of it. Once I get in the ditch, I'll get some traction. But I forgot they hadn't had rain in three months. That ditch was bone dry. When my tires, the tires on that truck hit that ditch, we hit it sideways. And it took that truck and it flew it up in the air like this. And it came down on its hood. I was grabbing hold of a steering wheel and I could hear glass crunching by my head. I was trying to pull my head up away from the window because I was afraid a piece of metal would shear off and go and, and literally puncture my brain. And I'm, I'm pulling up trying to get away from it and it comes up again and comes up straight. guy with me his head is cut open and we have to go get stitches for him and they're trying to get me in an ambulance and I said I'm fine I'm fine there was only one reason I was fine an unseen hand some people misinterpret that unseen hand that it will keep you from 
all trouble. I'm just here to tell you that trouble's a part of life. But what his hand will do is carry you through it. (laughs) Carry you through it. He could have kept Daniel from the lion's den. But then preachers would never be able to preach a sermon about how God can see you through. Could have kept the Hebrew children from the fire, but we'd never been able to talk about how God saw us through the fire. Could have caused the storm not to come up on that sea of Galilee, but then we'd never be able to talk about how Peter walked on water in the middle of a storm. I got, I'm just, what I want you to get is this, is your trouble or your, your dilemma is God's opportunity to show himself real in your life if you'll just ask him. Would you stand with me today? I'd like to tell you I've never made a mistake since I started pastoring a church. But then I'd have to repent for lying. I'd like to tell you that once I gave my heart to God that I never struggled. But that wouldn't be truthful. But what I can tell you as a matter of fact is that he's never left me. He's never forsaken me. Not for one, what that song say, not for one minute was I alone. Not for one minute was I ever forsaken. You may feel like you've gone through some tough stuff, and you may have, but hear my voice. Not for one minute have you ever been forsaken because there's a God that loves you more than you love yourself. And when you were ready to give up and walk away, he extended that hand that you couldn't see grabbed your heart and said, come on home. You may be back, but you may not be home yet. Come on home. Let God settle the issue once and for all. Just come on home. I went home last year went through my old neighborhood and my heart broke if you want to know the truth man the house that my parents took so much care for had kept up for all those years and there were beautiful roses in our yard Uh, it'd fallen apart there were old junk cars all around the house the fence was falling apart and I remembered brighter days I remembered better days, and then I remembered something else. That's not my home anymore. (laughs) You understand? Where your home is, the sun's shining. Where your home is, God's in control if you just let him be. As you stretch your hands to heaven, would you just love him with me for a moment as they sang this song? Thank you, Lord. And was I forsaken? Lord is in the 
you to come right now and we want to pray with you and say pastor do I have to come up front no you could do it where you're at if you want to just reach out and get somebody by the hand but it'll help you to come because it's your way of making a declaration it's your way of letting the devil know and everybody else know I don't care about yesterday it's a brand new today for me. It's a brand new today and I've come to grab hold of that hand of protection. So as they sing this one more time, I'm gonna give you an opportunity either from your seat or come to the front of this building and make that commitment to God. I'm not letting go. I'm not giving up. I'm gonna hold on. Sing it guys. to heaven this couple's got a grandbaby in a hospital that needs a miracle how many of you know he's a miracle worker stretch your hand toward him right now and call out the name of Jeremiah would you father thank you for touching Jeremiah thank you Lord for healing for restoring the Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, drive on awaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Lord is in this place. Come, Holy Spirit. 
today I want to share this with you I felt this come up in my spirit and I want you to hear what I believe God is saying this is what I heard tell them that I'm putting this together and like a puzzle that you're unsure of where all the pieces go I know not only exactly where they go, I know where every piece is at right now. While you're searching, while you're trying to find them, he already knows where they're at. And I got some good news for you. He's going to lead you to them. He's going to show you where those pieces are. Your peace of mind, your peace of heart, your peace of soul, He's going to show you where every piece is at. So go ahead and put a smile on your face on some credit today. Go ahead and stretch your hands to heaven and say, God, I thank you anyhow. I praise you anyhow. I know that you're taking care of it right now. Holy Spirit, The Lord is in this Say, not for one minute <laughs> have I ever been alone. Come on, give me a hand clap of praise in this house. As you go out today, remember you're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. He's going to bless you going out and coming in. You're blessed in the country and the city. And there's no one that can take you out of the hand of God. Thank you. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. 